Welcome to the Electric Wire podcast. We bring you news and views on the most pressing issues facing Wisconsin's electric industry from policymakers, executives, and customer and environmental advocates. Bringing you these discussions, we are the Customers First Coalition. Here's your host, Executive Director Kristen Jilks. Welcome, listeners, to the Electric Wire podcast. I am your host, Kristen Jilks, and today we are focusing on ways potential residential and small business electric customers can protect themselves when choosing a solar installer. We know there are many reputable solar installers doing good work in Wisconsin, but recently some troubling headlines surfaced when Waukesha-based Sun Badger Solar ceased operations earlier this year while still holding thousands of dollars in customer deposits and leaving dozens of incomplete projects across Southern Wisconsin. When customers signed up with Sun Badger Solar, the company's Better Business Bureau rating was an A. It has since fallen to an F, with over 50 complaints submitted to the state's Department of Agriculture, Trade, and Consumer Protection since the beginning of the year. Some Sun Badger Solar customers are still seeking answers about the status of their projects. Naturally, other customers considering solar installations want to know who they can trust. Here to help us find some answers today about how customers can choose reputable rooftop solar installers, we have Steve Fries, President and CEO of the Wisconsin Electric Cooperative Association and a board member of the Customers First Coalition. Steve will be co-hosting this episode with me and later, we will be joined by Mike Dompke of the Wisconsin Department of Agriculture, Trade, and Consumer Protection, otherwise known as DATCAP, and Leah Sampson of Madison Gas and Electric. First, Steve, welcome back. We're delighted to have you back after a few months off on medical leave. And so welcome and tell us how you're doing. Well, thank you very much, Kristen. It is, it is absolutely fantastic to be back. Um, I am a living testament that uh, prayers and medicine do work, and uh, I just really have appreciated everyone who has supported me through the very trying time period, but uh, things are going really well, and uh, I just appreciate prayers and medicine. Uh, they've done a phenomenal job for me. Well, thank you. That is great to hear, and it is so good to see you. Thank you. And Steve, um, recently you wrote a column in WECA's statewide magazine to help guide potential solar customers. What did you want to share through this column? So I have it here for everyone to kind of take a look at. Um, we publish the Wisconsin Energy Cooperative News monthly, uh, and it really, uh, through the column, was wanting to help our members understand they should really work with their local uh, electric co-op. And, and I would expand it here for this podcast to their local utility to make sure that they're working with a reputable firm that's going to install solar. So we don't have the situation that's occurred with Sun Badger Solar. But also we, we have, uh, because I live really close to Iowa in Wisconsin, but live close to Iowa, I receive uh, our television news from KCRG TV, nine out of Cedar Rapids, uh, Iowa. And they were reporting um, in uh, December, uh, the Iowa Attorney General is investigating 110 complaints against uh, Moxie Solar uh, because they abruptly closed their doors. They left customers with unfulfilled contracts, substantial financial losses, and that includes cooperative members in Wisconsin. And so we want to make sure that does not happen to our members who really want to do the right thing and install solar on their properties, on their houses, uh, so that um, they work with their local utility, in our case with the local electric co-op, so that we make sure that they're um, doing a reputable firm, that it's being installed correctly, and they don't have to worry about 
you know, problems down the road. And so that's why we wrote the column to encourage our members to do their due diligence. Thank you, Steve. And we will link to that column in the show notes. Um, now let's turn it over to our conversation with Mike and Leah. Thanks again to Steve for co-hosting and thanks again to all of our listeners. Welcome to the Electric Wire, Mike and Leah. Mike is the director of the Bureau of Consumer Protection at DEC. And Leah is a residential energy engineer at Madison Gas and Electric. Welcome to you both. And I want to just start out so our listeners get a little background on you and your roles within your organization. Mike, do you want to start us out? Not happy to do that. Thank you for the opportunity. So I've been with the Bureau of Consumer Protection for about a year and a half. And at the Bureau, our whole goal is we're the state's primary consumer protection agency to help maintain a fair and equitable marketplace across a variety of industries. And then also, as our title defines, we're help protect consumers, but we also do represent businesses so that the entire marketplace is represented. Uh, prior to this position, I spent 10 years at the Department of Transportation overseeing the motor vehicle dealer industry. And for about 10 years before that, I was a police officer. So I do my careers in decades. <laughs> Very cool, Mike. Thank you. How about you, Leah? Hi. So I started at Madison Gas and Electric about five years ago. Before that, I actually owned my own business and did sustainability consulting. It was called Madison Environmental Group. My educational background is mechanical engineering. That's part of why I answer some of the solar questions um, and the other like energy efficiency questions for customers. Really great. You know, um, Mike, can you kind of walk through how many complaints a year does DATCAP get regarding homeowners and, and businesses who are installing solar installations and, and are not happy with what uh, and how it's being done? You bet. I will, one quick clarification. So these are the number of consumer complaints we receive that are filed by individual homeowners against a, a particular business or contractor. So it is. I, I add that because we do also receive complaints where one particular business is uh, filing an irritation issue or something like that with just another one. So these are the actual consumer numbers. And we've seen them climb year after year. Uh, the first one in 2020, we only received six complaints regarding solar issues. Uh, in 2021, we received 15. In 2022, we received 38. So you pick up on a theme where they've doubled kind of each year, which is expected as the industry grew. And then this this year in 2023, so far, we've actually received 158 complaints. And, you know, that number is a little bit skewed because many of those are attributed to uh, one particular business that has some concerns and issues. Yeah, and I think we're seeing that across the, across the, our um, utilities uh, with the electric co-ops, that it's kind of increasing. And that's why we thought it would be important to really kind of alert our members and, and utility consumers uh, that this is an issue that they need to pay attention to, so. I think so too. And I think it's important to note, you know, we're asking, we're sort of leading off with that question about how many complaints are there really when you're seeing those numbers, it's probably a pretty small percentage, uh, really a fraction of the total solar installations. Um, but because the industry is growing and because there's more um, entrance into the market, really you have seen an uptick. So I guess that's the message. 
We, we have seen an uptick. That is correct. And again, I, I, that number seems so incredibly out in left field. And it is, again, a bit of an anomaly. It is trending upward. I suspect we'll receive more complaints overall. But to the point you mentioned earlier, it also is a very small fraction of the number of home improvement complaints we received annually. So reflective of the entire industry? No, it's not. Right. When you... So Go ahead, I was please. just going to ask, you know, what, what do the, the complaints generally cover? Is it the contracts? Is it delay in getting it installed? Is it the work product? Is it the quality of the uh, work product? Is it not working after it's been installed? Or uh, is there a financial component? Do you see a trend in what those complaints are? Uh, I would say it's E, all of the above. I, <laughs> we don't necessarily see a, a trend if I had to say that there was, it would be overall quality of work product being done. Uh, but I can break that down a little bit into some of the more specific categories where we receive complaints about. Uh, the first is really misrepresentations on what the system is actually going to produce. Now, that certainly could be the financial impacts. We're seeing misrepresentations on the amount of money they'll save, the uh, collaboration they'll be able to have with their local utility, for instance, hey, they're going to buy energy back at X rate without really having that relationship or being able to substantiate what that return on rate will be. Uh, oftentimes, we saw about tax breaks, rebates, those types of incentives where they can't really uh, guarantee that that particular customer is going to qualify for them. So the program may exist, but they're also limiting or their limitations to what that program will offer. And without them having a little bit more knowledge than they usually have about that particular consumer, uh, they can't offer it. Now, leading into the other part we talked about, the actual worksmanship, we certainly have seen issues where they've taken money on a contract and either not done the work at all, just not showing up, or only done half of the project or maybe they put the, the panels up on the roof, but then don't connect it to the box or the grid, or the box is connected and everything's all in place, but it doesn't connect to the local utility, you know, different variations of what we're seeing. And then of course, also defects to the panels. We've had some really, really odd complaints sometimes with where they, they're buying their panels from. Maybe they're buying old refurbished, some that were permanently damaged, um, situations like that where they may not necessarily understand what the product is that is being put on the roof because, you know, it's not as you're not able to look at a panel if you're not a true expert and understand, is that an operating panel? Is that what I paid for versus other items like siding or maybe roofing where at least you can look at it and kind of understand what it is. And then the last one would be failure to do it timely. You know, we're seeing a lot of these delays where you sign the contract and then months and months and months are going by and no work is being done. And that could be attributed to work shortage and labor or maybe parts shortages. Uh, but still, there's an opportunity for in Wisconsin law to accommodate that. But all in all, that really encompasses most of the complaints we're seeing. And I would follow up on this. You know, I've had uh, members tell me they were told that. Um, the panels would produce electricity 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Have you had um, members, Leah, who have said, hey, it's not doing what it was supposed to do? Or, um, Mike, have you heard that at all? 
Absolutely. And that really starts out with those misrepresentations of the claims of performance that they're going to get. You know, there some of these are, and, and I'm not an expert in, you know, what the actual wattage and how they work, but even to my layman eye, looking at them, I'm saying there's no way that they could ever produce this. Or, you know, making claims that your entire neighborhood will be paying you for the power because you're going to support it with these panels. You know, things like that, whatever it is that gets them in the door and really gets them to sign the contract. I've not heard the one that it will produce electricity 24-7. That one I've not heard. Um, but um, but they've done other misrepresentations of what, you know, what to be, you know, should be expected um, from those solar arrays. I, I talked to members who um, were, you know, absolutely believing that the moon was going to produce enough light to do uh, electricity generation and that even when the snow was covering the solar solar panel it was going to see through and still do it so it, it's amazing what uh what what they've been told yeah yeah that's that's really concerning so like is anyone reviewing the materials or the contracts that solar installers are presenting to customers um do they have to be factual so I, let me start by saying they absolutely have to be factual. And in addition to that, there are some specific requirements that Wisconsin law requires to be in each contract for a, a home improvement effort. And this would fall into that category. Now, we don't review every single contract that's out there. There isn't that requirement, but we certainly as part of our mediation process, when something goes wrong and someone files a complaint with us, we always ask for that contract. And at that point, we will scrutinize it and look and check for compliance and make sure those things are in there. Uh, but there is no there's no arena in where a misrepresentation is allowed or illegal. Uh, and there's a very broad statute that, that we use under our authority uh, that deals with misrepresentations that very clearly says, if you make any statement or implication or anything to solicit a good or service, of which this would be, that is untrue, misrepresenting, unfactual, it's, it's illegal. And it, irregardless of your intent, if that statement is untrue, that is a violation of the law. So, Leah, how, how does MG&E um, support its customers that you get a call and, and they're considering doing a, uh, a rooftop solar or a, a ground uh, installed solar? Um, do you do you have a process that you can help them with tips and pointers to look for when they're trying to figure out who they want to use as the contractor or what kind of panels that they want to use? Kind of kind of walk through that. And, and what do you see as the benefit for that member when they do install the solar? Sure. So I've over the last couple of years, I've talked to hundreds of customers at different phases of getting solar installed. Um, so depending on what phase they're in is dependent on what kind of resources I send to them. If they're in the process and they don't know what the next step is, well, then I send, we have a brochure that walks through the steps so they know what the next step is. Or if they're in the beginning, I send an introductory email that lists like, okay, so Focus on Energy has incentives. These are the tax credit site. Um, this is, um, you know, a list of trade allies from Focus on Energy. It's got a bunch of resources, even some basic ones of this is how solar works. So, um, so it kind of varies depending on where they are in the process. Um, but they can email, 
they can call and then they'll have a live person that will call them back and either you know talk to them over email or or in you know on the phone to answer any of their questions so what do you see as really um, the motivation behind your customers in looking into solar is it incentives is it they want to you know have a a less carbon footprint or what do you see really driving um, that your your customers? So the ones that I talk to, it really is um, the the lower carbon footprint. Um, they um, want their electricity to come from new renewable um, sources, and so they opt to put solar on their roof. Um, and so, and then some do other additional steps after that. But um, some are obviously interested in the savings of having, you know, a solar array on the roof and have that produce their electricity instead of buying it from the grid. So, so I would say most of the people that I've talked to, when they've talked about their reasons, it's, it's reducing their carbon footprint. Um, and then the economics is also part of the conversation, of course, but, but yeah. Thanks. We should note, I think, most of our podcast listeners, if you've listened in the past, you know that Wisconsin regulates its electric utilities um, and assigns a service territory to utilities and electric co-ops. And so customers in MG&E's service territory will have MG&E as an electric provider, but then they can um, be approached you know, either door-to-door -door or direct mail solicitations by um, solar installers who are offering these these deals, um, if they install solar, you know, then this would be the impact on their bill and their carbon footprint, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So, on that topic of door to door sales, Mike, I wanted to ask you: um, Do there seem to be particular problems associated with door to door solar installers? I, I don't. I don't want to characterize the entire door-to-door -door industry as being nefarious or having issues. Uh, I would say that certainly there are complaints that arise out of door-to-door -door sales, and those solicitations, um, I would say, often will kind of fall in two categories. One is anytime you see a, a storm or disaster or any kind of repair. You know, historically in the industry, they've been called storm chasers and they, they come into town and want to repair. The other has been solar. You know, we've seen a lot of solar installers really out there pounding the pavement door to door. And the concerns are you don't really know if that's a reputable company that's established that can back up what it is they're going to promise to do. You don't know if that warranty is going to be able to be backed up because you don't know what really they have as far as a established presence to be able to support whatever it is you're signing them to do. And so when we see those types of complaints, one of the biggest issues is they come in and maybe they start the work, but then they have, they're, they're unable to call anyone or get a hold of anybody after the fact because it's not producing the way it was supposed to. Maybe it doesn't work at all. Uh, maybe they cause damage to the house or the roof when they were installing them or the yard. And so the, the concern with the door-to-door -door is consumers may not always be taking a second to step back and do the research necessary to make sure that they're investing wisely. And so, Mike, on that, can communities 
put some type of ordinance in place that addresses that? Um, have you seen that, um, Leah? Is in your service area? Do you have anything like that that you've seen? No, um, I do not know of any ordinance that says you can't do door-to-door -door sales. We uh, we have seen. Uh, I have not seen any prohibitions from door-to-door -door sales. Uh, there are some communities that will require you to register and or and or obtain a permit from them to conduct the door-to-door -door sales, and that's not just solar. You know, I think. Maybe we're, we're focused here, and so I should qualify and say that this is across any industry that maybe they're selling magazines. There very well may be some municipalities that say you can sell this particular product, but you can't sell this product. So my statement is really saying we've seen uh, ordinances where they can enact that and you have to come in. I know there are several communities around Madison. I think they might be in municipal um, service territories, Leah, but there are several communities who require door-to-door -door sales um, companies to have permits. Mm -hmm. And there have been several issues where certain um, solar providers have had those permits revoked because of some of the sales tactics they were using in those communities. So that's yep. just something to watch out for and maybe one yep. tool in the toolkit for communities. And if I could add on to that, Kristen, if you don't mind, I would also add that door-to-door -door sales don't really account for like a majority of the complaints that we receive when it has, comes to solar. You know, there's certainly we know that online searches are probably one of the biggest ones we'll see if you're looking for a solar provider and you have all these different websites that'll feed it. Uh, mail solicitations, a lot of those postcards that come in the mail and say, yes. look, community, this is so on it happened. Uh, media advertisements where whether it be social media pushes or actual direct radio slash TV, sometimes you see them early or late, early in the morning, late at night. Uh, all of those are generating those complaints as well, in addition to door to door. But I couldn't put a, a pulse and say, look, this particular approach is where all these complaints are coming from. One, one of the things, you know, thanks, Mike. One of the things with, with um, individuals really wanting to do the uh, carbon free footprint really excited about doing the solar. Are, are there really system precautions that they should be aware about or safety measures that need to be taken with the installation of more rooftop solar? Um, Leah, how, how can a utility help your customer, our members uh, understand that there are some things that they do, no matter how excited they are about doing it, there's still some basic things that, that really should be done. Sure, so for MG&E, um, we require photos of specific photos of um, the components so we can say you know it is safe and then we can say yes you can energize one of them is is being able to disconnect that solar array from our grid that's one of the basic ones and so that if the power goes out that solar array is not still generating electricity and putting that electricity out onto the grid um, and then making it unsafe for our workers. Um, and so that disconnect is one of those pieces that's it's very important. We won't allow energizing um, if that's that requirement isn't met. So on the disconnect, um, so let's have it, we have a storm, power lines go down, but I can still generate at my house. Is that um, disconnect so that it, it can't just go onto the grid or can I continue to uh, produce the energy to electrify my house? 
So when the power goes out, the inverter actually stops power. So um, you will not have power in your house unless you have a battery backup. If it's just solar, the flow of electricity is, is broken, it's done. Um, and so the only way to have power in your house during an outage is to have, you know, like a separate generator or to have a battery backup system. Would you say that's kind of the, the standard amongst the utilities in, in Wisconsin, or is that very utility specific? That yeah. is governed, I think, by PSC 119. So okay. there are statewide interconnection standards. So no matter who is generating electricity, if they want to be connected to the grid, they must follow the standards set forth in PSC 119. Um, so there are there are state safety standards they have to follow. Um, and that is a statewide regulation, but the installers themselves fall short of being regulated by the PSC. The, the, the reason I asked that, Kristen, was because I think uh, some people have been told that when the lights go out with your <laughs> utility, you continue to produce the electricity from your own solar array so you don't have to worry about that. I just want to make sure that our, our podcast listeners understand that, you know, that doesn't work that way. So. If somebody's telling you you don't need a generator because you got solar panels, that's not the case. Correct. There are some real safety issues when there is um, electricity flowing back onto the grid when there are sure. electrical workers trying to restore power for everyone. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Um, we're talking a little bit about safety and there being safety standards really for all installations but what happens when something goes wrong what happens if there's a violation of safety standards or other incorrect actions that would need uh, penalties or enforcement Mike can you tell us a little bit more about um, what recourse may exist there sure no I can tell you on our side of the house and then maybe Leah can talk about the safety considerations and, and things like that about when those go wrong so Ours really has to do with the representations made and then parts of the install, uh, the actual home improvement work that's done. And I will say the first thing we do is we really we are an education over compliance. You know, we do that before we enforce because our goal is if we can gain that compliance, then it prevents future harm from other. If you strictly jump to enforcement and penalties, you know, I think it's that whole uh, get them with honey. So what will happen is with the, if we receive a complaint, we'll ask for some of those documents and we'll first then determine, well, is the contract compliant? What else is going on? We'll want to try and help resolve that particular issue that may be unique to that complaint or maybe we've seen a pattern of issues. And so we'll work with that particular business to educate them. Maybe they just got into this. They saw it was a great opportunity. They heard somebody else was making some money and so they want to get into it. And as we talked about earlier here, you know, some of these areas require permitting and licensing, some of them don't. And so you don't necessarily have to be an expert to really get into the industry. So uh, we'll work through that. Now, if we do identify that there are some things that didn't get rectified or there was a, a larger pattern of behavior that or a large victim pool, there are forfeitures that can be uh, approved by the courts. And some of those could be not less than $100 or more than $10,000 for each violation. And when you get into, say, these home improvement contracts, and I can touch on this a little bit later, uh, there's a lot of different elements to each one of those contracts that are required. And then also things that go into while it's being executed. So I mentioned that 
because with well, one hundred to ten thousand dollars per violation as part of a project, there could be quite a few. And if they have a lot of customers, those could really add up. And so we'll work if it gets to that point. You know, we work with the Department of Justice and local district attorneys to determine whether or not there's civil prosecution available. Uh, and then at that point, they'll go ahead and work through those cases and uh, seek a type of enforcement action, whether it be an injunction, which prevents them from operating in that particular manner, really just says, hey, you need to stop doing these bad acts and start doing it right. And then occasionally it'll come with those forfeitures as well. And then the, I would say the, the most important thing we do, I, it's not at the end because it's the last afterthought, but the most important part that we give for is restitution. You know, again, we want to make consumers whole on whatever that loss was. And so if that means that they didn't get the project completed and therefore they were out the money that was paid, we want to make sure they get that back. If they're short some materials, we want to get those materials to them. Uh, but the goal is to get everyone whole. And then we talk about what is the deterrent effort afterwards. Thanks. It makes me think of those customers we were talking about who are who have been uh, sort of left in the dark for months now. Um, is there what is their first recourse? Do they call DATCAP and then and then wait for the process to play out? Well, depending on the situation and how big it is, the first thing we always encourage a consumer to do is contact the business. You know, uh, we want to make sure they have the business because, you know, we talk about situations going wrong here. But again, you know, I would not say that. Well, I, I will say the, the the industry as a whole is not bad. OK, you just like any industry, you have some bad apples that will be here and there. You know, I mentioned earlier in my introduction, I spent, you know, 10 years working in the motor vehicle dealer industry. Well, there are so many stigmas that are attached to car dealers. But in reality, a majority of car dealers are true, legitimate and business owners who are operating with integrity. Yep. And the same thing that we see, you know, in this in the solar industry, you have a few businesses that run afoul of the law, and then all of a sudden everyone thinks that entire industry is bad, and that's not the case. And so when we we talk about, all right, well, what what is it that can be done? How can they get that recourse? Well, first call that business because they may not be one of those bad apples. And they are invested in saying, let me make sure I get it right, especially with an online presence and the and, and everyone wants to leave a review everywhere, right? And unfortunately, if you hear about something bad, you're going to tweet about it. You're going to post it immediately. If things went right, eh, if I get around to it, I'll do it. So businesses are motivated to make it right, which is why we tell consumers do that. Uh, but if that doesn't work out, one of our goals is we want them to file a complaint, let us know that it happened, give us an opportunity to help. And, there, and I think there is a, a role for the utility to play with their customer or their member. And I have an example where one of our members um, had um, contracted to do a ground-mounted solar array, thought they were dealing with a really reputable and professional company. After the um, array was installed, they had their electric cooperative's master electrician come and do a visual inspection of the installation. They found 11 national electric code violations and multiple other issues uh, with the general installation. And the, the fortunate thing is the, um, the, the co-op and the member worked with the installer and they came back twice and they rectified the situation. Had they not had our master electrician go in, it would have likely have damaged the inverter and you'd have you know, a complete mess uh, on behalf of the member. And that's was the purpose of me um, writing to our members in the column was, you know, 
you need to work with your local utility to make sure that this was done right because we want it to succeed for you. We don't want you to have a bad experience. Uh, our members are installing, you know, uh, utility grade solar um, because there is a role for that to play. And for each one of our members who puts it on their home, we want it to be right all the way around. And so uh, I think by us encouraging members and customers to engage with their electric utility to make sure it was done right will help fulfill that it was done right. Yeah. And I have heard, um, now this is, this is anecdotal, right? But for customers, we mentioned of Sun Badger Solar, I've heard there's other solar installers from the area who are trying to step in and help get the work completed. So that because it's, it's really a bigger issue for the industry, you know, they, they want to show that um, the benefits and that it's a, it's a good caring community who, you know, can, can step in when help is needed. Obviously that, you know, you don't, you don't want to be in that situation, but um, I think it is a good example that there are other solar installers trying to um, step in and, and make things right. Lee, would you say that your customers are having a positive experience when installing rooftop solar? Uh, are they sharing that with you or are you hearing more frustration? So I hear both and it kind of depends on where they are in that process. So of course I hear frustrations, but also people will call, they don't understand their bill. And that's when I hear um, like they're, they're happy about their solar, um, but they have questions on their bill. So, um, so I hear both, um, you know, and of course it's just a select few. We sure. have all, you know, it's just the ones that call in and contact yep. us that ask questions. So it, you know, we, we get the full spectrum. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. 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 So let's, Let's let's start to bring it around and focus on on what customers who are considering solar can do to make sure that they are signing up with a reputable provider. Um, Mike, do you want to start? Are there guidelines people should follow, or where should they begin? Uh, absolutely, and I could probably spend the next half an hour going through all of them. So <laughs> really, really keep it concise as much as I can. Uh, the first one is really understanding what the rights and the laws require. You know, Leah mentioned earlier about a checklist and things that you can proactively look at and do. One of the things we also offer a few fact sheets that I would encourage everyone before you embark on this is to visit our website. We have things specifically for solar installers, and we also have a home improvement fact sheet that will say, hey, here's some things to look for. One of those, what you'll see included in that are the detailed contract requirements that if someone shows up at your door and you want to do this project, or even if you were initiating that contact, understanding what needs to be in that contract to make sure you're perfected, I'm sorry, protected. So such as the name and the address of that salesperson who's standing in front of you, and also the company name and address. So if you get a generic, yeah, we're just going to sign it up here and we're good, red flag. Next is a detailed description of the job. You know, it seems self-explanatory, but the law says, no, you really have to explain what's going to happen because it's very easy. And you know, when someone shows up and says, you know, we're going to put panels on the roof, we're going to hook them up and you're going to be happy. Well, wait a second. How are you going to do that? And within that, how are you going to do it is you have to detail each material that's being used, the brand, the size, the model, the performance. I mean, it, it's perfectly designed for this type of industry and project. You have to have the total price 
and the finance charges that are going to be included because some of these projects can get very expensive and so they're financing them, which brings in you know a whole different uh, scope of rules and things you need to make sure you're aware of. And then the last one, second to last is really the start and completion dates understanding because you want to know when can you expect them to be there and when is it going to be done and so you can plan for that as well and then any warranties on the materials or labor and these are very expensive you're going to expect them to last a certain amount of time understanding what warranty comes with it and what you can actually um, do or what your recourse is if something goes wrong now the one thing i want to add for all of your listeners is is to really understand also lien waivers and their importance in Wisconsin. And lien waivers uh, really require that anytime you pay a contractor to do some work, they're required to notify you and make you aware that you have a right to a lien waiver. And what that does is it protects you if that contractor doesn't pay for any parts or materials that are tied to your home. And what, what I think a lot of listeners would be surprised to hear is if you don't get that lien waiver, and that contractor purchases those panels for that home and ties it to with that contract and fails to pay the supplier, that supplier may have the right to place a lien against the home until they get paid for those panels. So now that homeowner has paid the contractor a large amount of money for them, and maybe they just don't do what they're supposed to, they don't pay the supplier, and now legally they may end up having to pay the supplier and pay twice. So lien waivers and the rights to those are tremendously important. Uh, when you're doing something like this. At what point in the process would someone get a lien waiver? Anytime that you make a payment. So if you're signing that contract and you're making that initial down payment, oftentimes we see those being half. Uh, at that point, you should be requesting a lien waiver and that contractor should be making giving you the uh, notice of what your rights are. I, I would also take back and say, oh, sorry, Steve, is no, go ahead. be very careful as to how much you're paying. You know, you're going to see a lot of these, or not a lot, you may see a contractor that wants a substantial amount of money in advance. That's something that you should want to say, this is a red flag. Why are you asking for so much money up in front? That's not really an industry standard. So How much money should somebody be paying up front? (laughs) I'm like, I just got new windows and I know how much we had to put up front for that. It was a substantial amount. So I'm just curious, like, what is a... I would say that there's no monetary uh, amount. It's typically half is what is put up front to cover. It really should be an amount to cover that initial labor, the supplies to get them purchased, things like that. Anything more than half is uh, pretty abnormal in what we've seen. Okay. Thank you. So, So Mike and Leah, the former legislator in me wants to ask this question. Are there any additional protections for the consumers, our members that are on our lines, uh, necessary to really avoid situations that will unfold with, um, you know, unfulfilled contracts, uh, 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 the closing the doors abruptly, uh, leaving customers uh, with uh, financial losses. Uh, is there? Do you hear from um, consumers, um, your members? Uh, is there something more that we should be doing from a regulatory standpoint to protect them, or that could help protect them? I'd be interested in hearing both of your perspectives on that. So from MG&E's perspective, um, you know, like this consumer protection is not my forte. I am an engineer. (laughs) So like the talking to customers. So like just transparency. Um, I talking um, like one customer, he got his solar panels. 
he was not made aware of the rates that he would be um, exporting his electricity and that we would purchase it at. He was not made fully aware of, you know, the rate structure. And so after he got his solar panels and had them for a year and he became, it's called the net seller. Um, it's a little complicated equation, but he became a net seller. And so the price, the, the structure of what we, how we much we paid for that electricity changed a bit. And he was super upset because he was under one assumption. So, and I don't know if that's something that can be regulated, um, but, but having that full disclosure of this is what the whole structure will look like. Um, that you still will get MG&E bills. Those are not going to go away. Um, you know, but that's the misinformation that is being put out there is you're, you're not going to have any more MG&E bills, um, at least electric. You're not going to have any more electric bills. Um, and, you know, and then the rate structure isn't always explained. And those those are some very common ones that that I, I explain. And I, I, I love it when people call in before they've signed the contract and I can explain it rather than afterwards. So I always recommend people contact us as soon as possible, as soon as they're starting to do the research. Sure. Yeah, I I love the question and I actually love the answer even more in, in saying that I, I don't know that there is a lot. I think the legislature did a good job in identifying a lot of things that contractors need to do to address several of the things that we had talked about of saying, look, we're, we're going to educate you beforehand and make sure you're fully aware of what you're buying. The issue is, of course, human nature and whether or not businesses and humans want to follow what the legislature has put in place. And so the things that I talked about with the contracts and lien waivers and payments and all those things, fantastic protections, great tools. They're there. Uh, I don't know that anything additional is needed. People just need to comply. That's really good. And, you know, the it's kind of the, the transparency, as you talked about, Leah, that uh, is really, I think, important. I mean, if you're if you're telling the uh, the solar installers telling you you're not going to have to pay MG&E anymore. Um, do they talk about a facility charge? You know, lots of our members have facility charges just to keep the lines and the, the alignment working. Um, that's outside of the electric rate. And are they aware of that? And, you know, are they going to be surprised at that? And it's really easy just to leave that one out because they'll be honest saying you don't have to pay any more electricity rate, but you still are going to have that bill. Yes, exactly. Yep. Exactly. And and even, okay, so even if they look at your annual electricity use and then they design the system, let's say, you know, for that year one for one, summertime, it's going to overproduce what than what you can use. And then, then in the wintertime, it's going to be far less than what you consume. And so your bills will always ebb and flow. Yep. Some bills will have credits and some bills will, you know, not have credits. And so... You know, it's that this is reality. Um, this is what, you know, you can expect. Um, and and so that's what um, I, I think is so important for customers to understand. And, and, and I think, and, you know, and I think the goal for us here is to really have those customers talk to their utility to ask those questions, yes. to understand those, because this is, you know, something that they've never done before and they want to have a green footprint. And 
they want to make sure they do it right. And they have all these assumptions because, you know, they have these assumptions. And I mean, I, I talk to people who think the moon produces electricity because it's that bright and it just simply does not. So um, having their ability to call their utility and talk with a, a customer service person like yourself, I think is incredibly helpful. And that's that's what our members try to do for their members so that um, that they're they're not surprised and angry at the end of that installation. Yes, exactly. Yep. I think it's always a fair point to make that all customers have a right to self-generate electricity. Um, and the utility or electric co-op um, can be very helpful in helping them understand how, how to do so um, and what the full impact would be. So I like where we got there where, you know, that could be the first call you make when you're considering this is, you know, how can you help me get started? Mike, I was going to just ask, you know, so um, I'm the I'm the consumer that's thinking about installing, but I've seen all these bad headlines in the newspaper and on the uh, the TV. Can I call GatCap and, and have you tell me um, who you got complaints about and what they might entail? And, and, and if that's a possibility, how would I do that as a consumer? You absolutely can. You can call our consumer protection hotline at 1-800-422-7128. And not only will we tell you how many complaints we have received against a particular company, but we'll also share some of our tips about solar installation. We'll Great. talk about home improvement. We'll guide you to where those resources are online, or if need be, we'll mail them to your house for you. Uh, Kristen, I don't think we could have had a better two panelists to help us with this in uh, in the, the local utility um, being willing to work with the member to make sure that they're doing it correctly and that cap to help them, you know, traverse any uh, challenges that a company that might be representing something completely different uh, will for them. So. I think that's true. Um, thank you to you both. Were there any other issues or resources or anything else we didn't get to over the course of this conversation? Uh, I'll, I'll take a jump. I will say uh, one more pitch. Our website, consumerprotection.wy.gov. <laughs> if you visit that, we have a library of resources that would help you, will cover the things we talked about today, also help expand in some other areas. We also, within one of those fact sheets, talk about several other uh, partnerships that we have with Renew Wisconsin, Midwest Renewable Energy Association, the North American Board of Certified Energy Practitioners, and then one of our other partners, the Better Business Bureau. All of these are resources that you can use ahead of time to make sure that you're as educated as you can be before you jump in. And I probably stole some of Leah's thunder there, so I apologize. No, those are all great resources. Um, you know, I also want to share that solar panels are not the only way to reduce your carbon footprint. Um, and that, you know, so mg &E has committed by 2030 to reduce our emissions by 80%. So, you know, wait a couple more years and there's a, a huge, you know, reduction in emissions. There's making your house more efficient. So there's, so there's a lot of other things to do to green, you know, your, your lifestyle or to reduce your carbon footprint than just doing solar. Solar is super sexy because it's on the roof, but that there are other ways to do that that can be more cost-effective um, or just you know cheaper in general. Um, but it but there are other options. So 
just putting that out there as well. That's good. And we always, um, you know, I have always heard when you're thinking of adding uh, or self-generating, you know, the the first thing you should do is make sure your house is as energy efficient as possible so that you know the appropriate amount of generation to add. So just a little note on that there. And also, I was remiss in saying, Mike, when you first uh, mentioned that consumer hotline phone number, we will put um, all of the links and numbers mentioned in the show notes. So anyone who's looking for that, just check out the show notes as well. There's also another guide for um, solar when you're purchasing it. Energy.gov also has, um, you know, just a, a homeowner's guide to solar. They also have some resources on um, scams and some information there as well, um, just for additional, additional resources. Perfect. Thank you so much. Now, there's one final question we like <laughs> to ask all of our guests, and that is, if you had all the power in the industry, what would you do with it? I'll go okay. first. Um, so, you know, I am an engineer, so I'm very practical. And so my brain's like, I want every home to have that, you know, an energy audit. They do the improvements first. And then, um, you know, there's transparency in the bids. There's some, and I am great. I love hearing that there are some standards, but that, you know, and, and that everyone, every customer will at least get three bids, um, you know, and that they contact us so that we can help them with having that realistic point of view of what this is going to look like. So that's, that's my magic ideal world. <laughs> if I had all the power. <laughs> I love it. Thanks, Leah. Uh, I would wave my magic compliance wand. <laughs> I would make every contractor follow the law and I would make every panel work. And then I would start looking for a new job. <laughs> oh, that sounds amazing. I love magic. Use that wand. <laughs> there you go. Fixing all the problems. Yes. So you no longer have a job. I love it. <laughs> Good. Steve, did you have a, all the power you wanted to share? So, um, you know, obviously to make this a better place to live and work by having adequate resources and having all of our members and customers have patience for us to get there. Perfect. Thank you. Well, thank you all again. I think this was a really helpful guide for customers and really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much. Thanks. Appreciate the opportunity. Yes. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. Please support our work. You can subscribe to the Electric Wire podcast if you haven't already, and you can follow us on Twitter at The Electric Wire. Thanks also to the members of the Customers First Coalition for supporting this podcast. Our members are Dairyland Power Cooperative, Madison Gas and Electric, the Municipal Electric Utilities of Wisconsin, WPPI Energy, the Citizens Utility Board, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 2150, and the Wisconsin Electric Cooperatives Association. Thanks again for listening. We'll have a new episode next month.